We are a flower farm, so we have a lot in common with regular flower farmers, as it were. The thing that we don't do normally is that we don't ever sell a flower. Mm. We grow and we give flowers away. We work with nonprofit partners and organizations who serve communities at need, and we provide flowers to spread solace, joy, and healing. Population in need is really our guideline. If you are serving a population which is struggling or in need, we're trying to bring them all into the fold because flowers can help them all. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 606. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. Well, we've all heard the research about the influences of flowers on the health and mental wellness to all humans. And so many of our members, flower farmers and floral designers, integrate floral donations into their business models. The folks at What Cheer Flower Farm in Providence, Rhode Island, provide floral goodness to their community, reinforcing the scientific findings that growing flowers reduces anxiety and improves empathy. Patients receiving flowers tend to have quicker recovery times, People with flowers in their homes feel happier, less stressed, less depressed, and are able to concentrate more easily. And the presence of flowers can help as a memory aid for dementia patients. But of course, you already know some of this, right? Well, today I want to welcome Erin Achenbach, a Slow Flowers member who is the farmer florist at What Cheer Flower Farm, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing solace, joy, and healing to the people of Rhode Island via flowers, as well as supporting the local floral economy via job training. What Cheer grows, rescues, and gives away 100,000 flowers per year and is on track to expand that impressive amount even more to giving away 300,000 flowers per year in the next five years. The organization never sells flowers. All are given away freely via a network of local nonprofits and organizations serving Rhode Islanders, including hospitals, senior services, recovery centers, shelters, hospices, and food pantries. As part of my interview with Erin, she shares a short video tour of the growing areas at What Share Flower Farm. You'll want to check out our show notes for episode 602 at slowflowerspodcast.com so you can watch it. Let's jump right in and get started. 
Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Slow Flower Show today. And I'm so excited to welcome Erin Achenbach of What Cheer Flower Farm. Hi, Erin. Hello. Thank you for joining me. We've talked about doing this interview for a while, and it's just really nice to see your smiling face again. It's good to be here. Yeah. We saw we met in person at the Slow Flower Summit. I was delighted that you came. Uh, I just nice to put because uh, I knew some of the folks who were involved with the beginnings of What's Your Flower Farm. And how long have you been at the farm? I am coming up on a full year at the farm as of April 15th. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, uh, the name is really intriguing. I think everyone knows what it's what its meaning is, like, let's bring cheer with flowers. But you are a very unique uh, enterprise for, especially among our Slow Flowers member farms. So give us a snapshot of what Cheer Flower Farm is. And then um, and I'm promising everyone we have a, a tour, a walking tour video that we're going to show in a little bit. And Aaron's going to narrate that. Sure. So we are a flower farm. And um, so we have a lot in common with regular flower farmers, as it were. The um, the thing that we don't do normally is that we don't ever sell a flower. Mm. We grow and we give flowers away. We work with nonprofit partners and partnerships with organizations who serve communities at need, and we provide flowers to spread solace, joy, and healing. Um, and that's fundamentally where our heart is, Yeah, is, um, is this this lifestyle of um, giving back, giving back to community, giving back to our partners, giving back to the land that we are taking care of and that we have the ability to um, nurture in this time that we have it. Um, And so really it's, um, while we are a flower farm, we quickly depart into all of these other relationships and, um, and programs. And that um, we work with our partners to take them flowers. But then I also see the people who help us, our volunteer, or another part of this organization, which we couldn't do without those people. But that it's not just about receiving a service from those volunteers. That those volunteers are also the people that we provide with the the joy and the happiness that flowers can provide. Mm-hmm. It's really, um, and it starts with, everybody um, that we get a chance to work with in this. It's not just an end product. It's not just a goal. I love that. I, the picture I have is of a full circle and that there's uh, giving and receiving from everybody who's involved with the flowers at What's Your Flower Farm. Yes. Uh, that's amazing. So uh, tell us a little bit about where you're based and the size of the operation and your role as farmer florist, which <laughs> sort of means like you must do everything. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, you've got that right. Um, so we are in Providence proper in Oneyville, which is a section of Providence. Uh, we are adjacent to the um, the highway right on Route Six. We have 2.7 acres, which is an enormous amount of land. Um, that being said, 70,000 square feet of buildings sit on our property currently. We're operating the farm on about one acre or two-thirds of an acre. Okay. Um, okay. And so it, we're pretty young, too. So this started growing on-site in 2018, and then we've got some pandemic, and we had the creation of a building that gave us some ability to work in heating, with heating and cooling. So really, it's been since 2020 that I would say that the the organization has had the 
foundation to really grow um, the plants and the people who are such a, a an important partnership. And so right now I'm working with uh, two high tunnels and about 60 beds of varying sizes to produce flowers. The end goal is two acres in production on our 2.7. And that other 0.7 then becomes our buildings and infrastructure to allow us to continue the program. Yeah. Um, and then so that's, and that's where we are right now. We're at this line of we have our space and we're going to be making more space and then we grow into that space. But that's so much uh, acreage for, in the heart of a city for an urban, um, you know, just, you just don't see that kind of land uh, yeah. in an ur- dense urban area. How did this land come about and, and how did it become a flower farm? Uh, so this was a colonial knife factory uh, property, and it started officially in the early 20s and was in production through the early 1990s when they took production overseas, mm. where manufacturing went for a lot of yeah. um, industrial properties in Providence, honestly. There's a lot of manufacturing and properties in this city, which just essentially went empty wow. uh, during that stretch of time. And so when our founder wanted to expand the the process of giving flowers to grow joy then the the intent was really to start in the city and give make this the place where it would happen so she started this search for land and this property had been for sale for decades wow and this um and she was able to negotiate a deal because of the mission and the and what she wanted to do with the property. She was able to get this property purchased for a reasonable price. And then we were able to start this in city center, which was the the goal. Yeah. Initially. And it's, you are a, technically a 501c3 organization right now, yeah. right? So the foundation yeah. owns the, the farm. The, yep. The okay. farm is owned by what chair flower farm is its own entity. We're a nonprofit. Um, we, um, are governed by a, a board of directors. It's so interesting too, because I'm sure it was a really depleted, um, neglected, the part that was, that you could possibly grow on, not the where the buildings are, but just the whatever, parking lot. So every place that we grow on currently was parking lot. So part of what is happening is we have the old factories, which are in the process of coming down and we're doing the remediation for that part. The entire site is a brownfield site. So they started with taking up parking lot because that was the easiest thing to do first, right? right. Um, and they push all that to the side, and then we do what's called a cap. They put a, uh, a barrier and a gravel, a minimum of 12 inches, maximum of whatever, and then we grow on top of the cap. So wow. we are in raised beds on top of a cap, on top of a brownfield site. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And people will see the raised beds when we show the, the video. I watched it yesterday and um, I I thought, oh, how cool. They're berming their rows. But there's a reason for that. In addition yeah. to you built up the soil, um, it was just to not be growing in toxins. I, I don't really know what brownfield is. I'm assuming it's some chemical terminology. So we, it has been... Um there are uh, le- chemical levels which are tested by the state. And when they came in to test this site because of the activities 
that they did in the buildings. And then um, they used a lot of asbestos to cover mm. floors and essentially everything um, back in the day because it was um, fire resistant. So because that exists in the building and because of the chemicals that could have been present in those factories, um, the the site has been deemed um, contaminated. Right. And right. so then about, about the, I'm sorry, the brownfield site is really our limitations then with what can be done. So the other thing that should be said is this 2.7 acres, while there was like, oh, you could do so much. We actually can't, this could never be used as a residential property. Wow. This is, is limited by what can be done now and moving forward. So the options were really parking lot, um, which is what most of the neighborhood wanted to do with it, or a flower farm, I guess. Yeah. And I, I'm supposing you could never grow food there either. Um, agriculture, you know, something that would be consumed. Well, so that's what the cap is doing for mm -hmm. us, right? Okay. The cap is the barrier from what the soil on the site contains. And the cap provides the barrier that allows us to then put our soil on top and grow. Wow. And so there's, there, as, as I've come to understand it, there are some limitations if we were going to grow it, like say a deep rooted tree, that's going, those roots are going to access most likely below the cap. Right, right. So that could become a problem. Um, but there are sites in Providence who are using these techniques who are, who are growing food oh, wow. in these raised beds, because again, we're not, those aren't mixing. Right. And that's kind of the goal of a cap is yeah. that we're not moving that soil away and we're not working in that soil and providing um, a dangerous situation for anybody on site. Yeah. Well, that's, that's promising because it, I, I, my ears perked up when you said there are a lot of these, uh, you know, empty factory sites. And so you're demonstrating what could be done. And it sounds like some other agricultural groups are trying to reclaim this land for, you know, their enterprises too. So uh, promising, changing the landscape for sure. Yeah. Erin, um, the, the giving away of bouquets is so interesting because there are other organizations that I've, you know, featured or interviewed or met around the country who do this sort of, um, you know, giving away of bouquets, like after events and all. And what my observation is, either they're just grassroots or if they're associated with a nonprofit, the number one challenge that I've found, you don't, there's no shortage of volunteers who want to make bouquets and, and do the deliveries. It's getting the flowers and having to go to grocery stores or going to weddings and event designers and get the leftovers. You've eliminated that big hurdle because you grow the flowers you're giving away. And that is a unique model. I, I'm sure there are a few other farms doing this, uh, but I love that that kind of um, supply of flowers is not, it's not as big of an issue for you, right? And as, as long as you can get them planted and, and harvested. So the... The, in the greater scheme of things, while we do grow the flowers to give them away, and that is what we will do with the two acres, our intent really is to also address some of those other issues and the greater prog problems within the floral industry. And it's the waste and our connection to the waste stream and then these short lifespans that flowers mm -hmm. have. So in addition to growing, we are then also 
getting flowers from gleaning operations, whether we're oh. working with a, a farm who has a pick your own, who lets us come in at the end of their season when it doesn't become um, financially viable for them to open. We are working with um, florists and funeral homes because there's a lot of need to see these flowers not only serve more than just one use, but then be responsibly taken care of that how many pounds of floral waste are we going to put in a dumpster and not address the needs of a responsible um, waste stream solution. Okay, great. Really, that is something we are we are doing that is an integral part of who we are. Um, and we do go to the grocery stores and things like that, because, also because of our, our climate and our season, right? So we can do so much in a, a high tunnel and we can do so much in a field, but we're in Providence, Rhode Island with a, a zone six and, um, you're right. <laughs> we're, we're still, if, and if we lose those, you know, we need to have those volunteers be involved and create this. I don't want to ever stop giving flowers because we can't grow it. That's another one of my beliefs is that in these seasons where people could really use a flower like this, this is the season when we should do whatever it takes. Mm to maintain this program. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So in a way, it's a hybrid model uh, that allows you to have, uh, you know, your your giveaways year round. Yes. Um, that's true because you just had a big Valentine's Day promotion. And I'm just curious that you must have had to work with uh, flowers that you didn't grow yourself for Valentine's yes. Day. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have, um, we don't have anything really in production. Our eucalyptus was able to give us some greens and some dusty miller, but largely it was with um, grown stems, which were brought in recycled or that donations made possible. And we're usually we're using a volunteer base and they're making flowers and then we're giving them to our partners. It turned it on its head and our partner organizations brought in their clients and the clients who typically receive our flowers made the bouquets oh my and goodness. they got to be in this room as a group working together to make the flowers. And then our volunteers became the teacher that day. So they got to um, teach what they had learned to the, to our partner organizations and everybody got to see a different face and it was public facing that day. Uh, with media and other invited guests. And largely what we do here, it's a, it's kind of invite only. You have to sign up for an orientation or be a volunteer or be an organization invited to the property. We don't have open hours. So this sure. was kind of the, um, the little glimpse into what we do on a day to day and kind of mixing it up. And we were able wow. in roughly three hours, we made over 600 bouquets with, individuals who never made a bouquet before. Wow. What kind of agency was it that you were working with or what are the, what's the range of agencies or um, partner organizations that you, that you work with? So, yeah, we brought in um, adults with um, differing abilities. We bring in um, the associations with people with an an elderly or an aging population, mm -hmm. youth organization, like high school level, um, who are in adaptive programs, whether that's a, a mental or a physical. We work with uh, recovery. We have some wonderful organizations in the city working to help people get back on their feet, whether that's mothers in recovery or um, any any number mm -hmm. of um, just life 
life paths that have led them to be in need. Right. Um, so we don't, um, population in need is really our guideline. And the yeah. own veterans homes, mm-hmm. hospitals, um, if you are serving a population which is struggling or in need, we, we're trying to bring them all into the fold because it's a, the, if we, flowers can help them all. I, I couldn't agree more. That's beautiful. Well, before we jump into the video, I want to hear about your path, Erin. How did, how did you come to this job? What was your path to flowers? Because um, you're just coming up on your one year, one year anniversary. So uh, give us a little glimpse to like <laughs> your, your journey. So I actually was born in Montana, raised in Portland, Oregon, or just outside. Uh, I spent my entire youth out in the woods and being in nature and horticulture in high school. Always had a connection with um, agriculture, horticulture, the living world, as it were. And then I've had, you know, varying life choices, which have led me to be a chef and a saddle maker and working in retail and, and a number of things. And most recently, I was managing a, a nursery for Lowe's in Connecticut, where my farm is that I live on. Um, and a friend of mine gave me a call. I'd been there for five years. I had a three three mile commute. Things were very comfortable. <laughs> and um, and she calls me up and she said, "There's a farm in Providence that needs a farmer." And I was like that doesn't sound right. And then she said it was Oneyville and I had experience in Oneyville a decade ago and that was not where a farm would be. <laughs> and, and it was a very dreary day in March. It was actually very similar to today outside. It was this gloomy rainy day and I drove onto this property with a chain link fence and it it's even changed in a year. We had an entire quarter acre that was in weedy trees and berms of trash and debris and um, refuse. And there was a whole new 60 by 60 plot that hadn't even been created. And I was like, oh my. And it really had been largely, um, things had really taken a a slowdown from COVID. So even inside the building, it just looked a little bit um, forgotten, even though the building was new, it was, you kind of walked in and it's like, where are all the people? Where is all the, the joy? And then I went up to our high tunnels and I took a deep breath and I looked at these massive five-year-old eucalyptus trees that they have and, or we have, and these huge, uh, rosemary and sage and lavender plants. And I just, I had a moment in those high tunnels and I was like, well, here it is. And you could smell the soil. And I and I walked around and I was like, okay, I see this farm and I, I see these things. And I went to bed and I, it was March, right? So like the season is coming and nobody had been working since the previous October on the farm. And I went to bed and I got up in the morning and I woke up and I thought about my farm. Mm, wow. And, and then I went and had my interview. And I remember sitting in the interview and I said, um, well, I said, I already consider it my farm. Um, and I already have plans for what I need to do. So all you have to do is hire me. <laughs> and we have to start tomorrow. <laughs> when I need to start now. I mean, yeah. I, I really just, I had this, I just went from, oh, I don't know, to this just internal belief that this was my farm. And, and I've really then stepped every day forward with that belief and looking at how I can make an impact on our responsibility to the planet and integrating systems that are are responsible. I mean, speaking to being a farmer and growing, like what do I, at almost three acres, 
what could I do for the planet and for the ecosystem and then for the education and for the people, in addition to growing the flowers, which we definitely need, there's production need. And then there's how do we do it in a way that does better for the people on the planet. Wow. So what is your farm in Connecticut? Is that more of, of your personal, you know, vegetable patch? Or? Well, that's where I tell people I like to, um, where I feed my animals my paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, lots of um, homestead. And it's, a, it's a, a homestead is exactly what it is. It's 13 acres. I have about six, six acres in wetlands. And so I consider myself um, like kind of a facilitator of keeping those areas happy and um, looking out for all the invasive species and doing my part to make that better. And I have an eight-year-old son who I really feel strongly about bringing up connected to the planet and with responsibility about where his food comes from. Yeah. And so that's really, that was my goal. My whole life was to live on a farm. Mm. So that, that farm is um, sustaining my needs as a human, mm-hmm. um, but just happens to be conveniently 30 minutes outside of Providence, allowing me to work <laughs> at a farm. Right. And it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. You don't go home to as many chores. They just stay there in Providence. Yeah. So you've yeah. got, staff and volunteers who hopefully help you run that beautiful operation. Wow. That's amazing. I love it. And it's almost like you've um, tried to give your son that, that immersion in nature that you recalled and described from your own childhood. So that's beautiful. Without a doubt. Well, let's look at the video and I'll just turn it on and we can kind of, it's, there's no, there's no sound to it. So I'll just, we'll just talk our way through it. It's about eight minutes, folks. And then we'll wrap up. Um, I will just go ahead and turn it on right now. So you shot this uh, not too long ago, Erin, right? Yeah. So what you're seeing here is as if you were a car, you can see our parking to your right. You would see this is the newest field and this is the prototype for how our the rest of our fields will be made going forward. Standardization is something that I've kind of tasked myself with. So these are two sets of 10 rows each, 25 feet long, and it's bordered by a hedgerow on the front and back. And then additionally, our whole property will be um, bordered by a hedgerow. What you're seeing there is we put in somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,500 bulbs in the December, early December, mm-hmm. after we pulled our dahlias. So it looked like that, those were some tulips poking tulips, up there. Daffodils, yeah. alliums. Then you're looking back, that's our quarter acre straight ahead that we had um, weed trees on that we pulled down last April and May, which will move into a, a deeper rooted shrubs this year. The barn is the blue thing you see there on the left. It's mm-hmm. a pollinator planting with a, a just a riot of things in there. Is this the new? Is this the new building that was added? That's the 2020 build um, of our barn. That's where our offices are, our volunteers are, and this is the factory that you're seeing. This is the 70,000 square feet of buildings that'll be coming down starting in April. Oh, I see the um, chain link fence. So there's some yeah. kind of prep. Totally going separate. On. And on the right there, that was the community garden section. And then in the middle part, we'll have our new buildings, greenhouses, and then the really the heart of our facilities. And here we're walking, we're heading up towards the upper and oldest fields on the property. We've got some picnic benches, the um, 
the maple tree provides us with a lot of good shade. That's our cheermobile. And, and that is a, a, a floral bedecked uh, <laughs> minivan. I love it. Do you drive that's that a, around? <laughs> yeah, that's our vehicle for the farm. That's what all of our flowers get picked up and dropped off in. Sweet. It, and this, so this upper and these, again, like I said, these were all parking lots that you're seeing that we're growing on. This was oh, the wow. available space that could be converted immediately. And in 2018, when they started, there was no running water. There was no electricity. There was no building. This was done like porta potty pushed into the bushes, like hard, yeah. hard labor. Yeah. And these are the raised beds, the earliest raised beds. Um, there's some varying widths and heights and numbers of drip tapes. Those are things we're working on. And we're walking up here into see our high tunnels. And largely we use these season extenders and there's some perennials that we can't grow in our um, zone six climate. That's how we get our overwintering eucalyptus, our lavender, our rosemary, crespidia, gumfrina, snapdragons. All of those things are made possible in those high tunnels without any, um, they kind of just do their own thing. Right. But wow. we get we get a lot of residual heat because there's so much gravel. So even though I don't think that our zone six really is the same as say a zone six, a couple blocks down the road, we're sitting on a very large heat sink. Mm, that's a really uh, good point. You're getting a little a few extra degrees right. uh, to your benefit. So we're inside the, the one of the high tunnels now, and you're still doing that kind of raised berm oh, style yep. planting, right? Yep. And there's our... Um, our eucalyptus, which we harvest a lot. I uh, harvested a, quite a bit of it in September and we just did a trim. I'm going to trim them back a little bit. Those stalks are still a little large. We were fully in the, in the ceiling and oh. we had to cut it before it tried to pop through. So right. those need to be lower. I mean, but beautiful, mature um, rosemary and lavender. Those That lavender there provided us with hundreds of stems. That's wonderful. And, and people respond to that because it's so fragrant. Oh, and the, that it's my celebrity high tunnel. People love it in there. Um, and that's it's similar on the on the other side, um, but it's a they're a little bit far away from the building, so it takes a little bit of an effort. And then that's the oldest uh, section, which oh god, it's kind of fuzzy because it's a mess. Um, these need to be topped off. So I've got thirty yards of of fifty fifty compost topsoil coming. And we need to um, look at the weeds and overgrowth that's happened after years of just being with all these um, high pressure weeds. So yeah. we've got some work to do in that corner. What do you think that you'll ultimately uh, replant there? That's we're calling our test beds. And we've collected all of our own native seeds and are stratifying them currently in our walk-in cooler. And we'll be testing out native plants as cut flowers to see um what kind of effect we can have with those. I think that's fabulous. And we've seen that happen in other regions too. So in a way that, that truly is a test garden because you'll share your knowledge and intelligence experience with uh, your volunteers and probably the larger gardening and flower and farming community. Yeah. So our test beds, um, what we want are, and what I want, so I, I want to do that 60 by 60 foot bed as a standardization, but as we have our community garden come in, I want to be able to speak to what happens in a 25 foot long bed. And when you take that bed as a community garden member, what does that do 
for you, take all of what we've learned and all of our numbers and our knowledge, and then you start there instead of starting it from scratch. Here we so are. The, let me just stop for a second. The community, so you're going to have plots that people can um, sign up for and, and kind of a way to engage the community. Yes, wow. absolutely. That's right. exciting. Okay. Give access to this land back to the people who are going to directly be impacted by its change. Hmm. And that that empty space that we just walked out of that is um, loving, loving, lovingly called the shrubbery, where we can <laughs> we can plant some deeper rooted things. And now we're in the barn, so this is kind of our welcome, our creative station. We have some um, seating areas, some cubicles, and then really public space. This mm -hmm. is where people come in. When you're a volunteer, you're welcome to come in, sit, relax throw your lunch in the refrigerator. We provide some snacks and some beverages and just a place to be. Um, it's a very comfortable little space and it's kind of decorated with all the things. That, Dried uh, flowers. I love it. Yeah. And then it's really split into two. So we've got a front half and a back half. And the front half is where we're using for ad administrative offices right now. And then the back half is floristry. But long term, this really is called, there's my... Here's my home away from home. <laughs> and um, so it's it's going to be the barn. So it will okay. be a, a fully agricultural building. But for now, it's kind of doing everything. And now you've come back into our floristry section. Yeah, where we're like we've got some flowers. starts. We, um, we've got some lights on to either hold things over or start things. Our <laughs> never clean bucket area. Um, <laughs> Everyone can relate. <laughs> this, this room just has to do so much because it's it's really the only additional space we have that's um, climate controlled and and things right. like that. And so it's our it's our bouquet making room. It's our wreath making room. It's our processing room. It's our seating room. Um, and we've got some lockers there, you see. And then we yeah. have our walk-in cooler and that whole houses whatever we happen to have. So you can see on the right um, flowers that need to be uh, addressed. And in the back, then we put them into buckets, five bouquets in a bucket so that we can kind of streamline that delivery process. And um, trying to do everything in a way that um, minimizes effort because we are a very small group. Um, and everybody's doing a lot. So yeah. we try to um, simplify where we can. Is there, when you said five bouquets to a bucket, made me wonder, is there like a classic uh, recipe for a what cheer flower farm gift bouquet? I mean, have you, when you talk about streamlining, are you trying to set some of those policies in place? Absolutely. Um, so like you said, and like most people know, everybody wants to make the flowers. That's an easy sell. Um, but what... I don't want to be too limiting. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have, this is how it has to go. We don't have a recipe per se. We count to 12 and we count it and we cut it to the right height, which is the height of a mason jar. And we put five in a bucket. And that's fundamentally where the instruction ends. Because what I found is that part of leaving people in that room to make whatever they would like to make with that variety of flowers is part of, what makes a process so special. And if we went back there and counted all the stems and told them what to do, then you've taken part of the joy away. Yeah. And the reality is, is that nobody on the other end has ever criticized a bouquet that they've gotten. Right. Mostly, a lot of them take them apart and do it again and again and again. 
just so, because that's so enjoyable. Right. Yeah. Everybody's getting this experience um, to use as they want to use it. So we're counting to 12 and we're cutting to height and five in a bucket. And that means that we're also limiting the handling of the flowers because of their second hand or they might be a little bit older. Then we're going to um, recycle them, get them into buckets, um, get them those those fresh cuts. And then we hand them over to our volunteers. And then once they go into that five to a bucket, then the next time somebody touches those flowers should be to give them away. Sure. And then that way we, we can create a little bit longer life yeah. because we are using a product yeah. that um, had its own experiences already. <laughs> With a history. <laughs> when you say count to 12, you mean 12 stems of 12 anything. Stems. Yeah. Love stems. it. Every single person will start to shine in what they grab and what they gravitate towards. And so sometimes we'll be a little bit heavier on one thing or another. And I might say, we've got 3,600 roses feel free to use six roses in your bouquet today. We have the complete opposite problem of a lot of people. Um, but so sometimes I'll give some guidelines, but yeah. you can you can have 10 people make 10 different arrangements. And that's part of the fun. It's like, I couldn't ever come up with all of yeah, that. I love it. That's so neat. Yeah. Do you have any kind of um, uh, numbers that you can share about the, the number of bouquets? You talked about 600 bouquets. Um, you know, in a course of three hours, that kind of blows my mind. So I can't imagine what it's adds up to in the course of a year. So my, um, what I stated as my goal for this year was to, as a STEM count, uh, and my goal is 110,000 STEMs. And um, I think currently we are at about 17,000 STEMs since January 1. And considering that we haven't grown a flower ourselves yet this year, that looks really good. And then I have an estimated output on my gardening space to be um, somewhere in the uh, neighborhood of 90,000 STEMs. Wow. They will grow. Produce and grow. So I feel like 110 is really easy when you consider that we haven't even started adding in the weddings, the grocery stores, the gleaning, everything else. So like, that's just my, I'm going to get to 110, no problem. And I hope, I just want to blow that out of the water. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, You've been there a year. You uh, mentioned that that there are some special events that are, you know, kind of the focus. And I'm assuming that that's a way to, you know, create a lot of opportunities for volunteers, but also engage the public and also maybe get some press. Like what, what's on your calendar? You just did Valentine's Day and describe that and then what else you have planned. Right. So in the past, we've done the Bouquet-a-thon. I think that was number three. Um, so that's a good um, kind of middle of the winter um, thing. And then in, historically, there's been a festival in August. And what we've really learned is to having that that balance of, of events Um, And because we're not open to the public, it gives people who are curious the opportunity to see. And then what we're looking at this summer, like I said, we've got demolition coming, which should be done by the end of August or middle of August, but um, might um, have the potential to throw some um, wrench into things. We're really looking at how are we going to create that interest and the ability to share the farm to the community at large and what that looks like. We're not exactly sure on what that's going to be, but it's going to be um, 
very potentially a hybrid of the festival formula where we're bringing artistry, we're bringing um, people who are creatives to sell their wares. We're bringing in um, musicians and poets Mm. and we're bringing in um, curious people who maybe wouldn't have come to this neighborhood of Providence because for a while, this wasn't exactly the place you'd go to Mm. um, have a lovely Saturday afternoon. And um, so that's what we're looking at right now. And as we kind of nail down those processes in the next couple of months, I hope to see um, some real solid ability to have people come to the farm. And then that's where when people have been able to come here, that's when I get the call. I say, I want to volunteer or I have an organization that I think you should partner with because that's the other half of it. Not just people that we can get to do the work, but then how do we give more flowers where do we find the next organization that we can partner with and share? how you get them out into the community? Right. And more, not just the same people every time, right. To, to spread that joy. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. The bouquetathon was the Valentine's day event. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, it sounds like that's one of your most uh, established annual campaigns where you're absolutely really getting the, sounds like elevating what you don't normally do on a daily basis to something more, (laughs) more impactful. Yeah. Turn it on its head. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I just have to ask this question. Not, I don't, I don't mean to play devil's advocate, but I have heard this kind of complaint in the past when I've run into nonprofit, like school, school farm programs, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that is that, you know, um, Somebody will come in and say, well, this nonprofit group is undercutting local flower farmers or undercutting florists because they're just doing it for free with free labor and we can't compete with that. Have you, has that come up for you at all? Or have you been able to address that? Because I, I, you know, I feel like they should coexist, like commercial floristry and flower farming should coexist with a nonprofit like this. Yeah. And that's, and that's partly why we're not going to sell our flowers. Okay. You know, we're not going to we're not going to go out and bid on a job and say, well, we have all these flowers and we could do it cheaper because we're not spending the money on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Even though now, as much as I know about nonprofits, that's um, <laughs> so much more complicated than I ever could have known. But and then so our and our ultimate goal is to really support the floral industry mm-hmm. that with this new building and with this property that we're doing cut flower growing on is we're we're going to create learning opportunities for farming. We're going to create learning opportunities for floristry. We'd like to provide a place for florists to come and understand that fall circle composting, that local, locally sourced flowers show people that you can in fact grow flowers locally that you could use in an event. So mm-hmm. that so sharing your knowledge and your, your grounds and your facilities with the community. Right. And again, we're, we're very aware that we could make it difficult for people if we were doing these events and providing flowers. Um, and that's why we just simply do not ever sell. That's a really good point. Okay, that helps a lot. And I love, and I I know that you consider local flower farmers and florists your professional peers, and you want to find opportunities that benefit them too. So, kudos for having that long range plan. After you get this big building demolished, you're going to, how long will it take? Will you be able to grow in that land next year? Yeah. 
Wow. So you're going to be more than doubling your growing capacity in 2024. Oh, without a doubt. So the thing about it is my farming is going to explode much faster than the physical buildings will grow, that that's uh, more of a five-year plan in that construction phase. But once they cap it, which is going to be the middle of August, um, those fields can be created. We can put as many 60 by 60 plots in and I can be growing on my two acres by next year. Wow. That's amazing. Which is wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get ready, Erin. You're going to need a lot. You have a few key staff members, but mostly you rely on volunteers, right? Yeah. We hire seasonal staff to help us in the farming aspect of it. And as we've realized that there were positions that could carry on, we started with seasonal staff. We've brought them on as year-round staff. And that's really the goal is that we also want to be respectful and um, provide opportunities for people to earn a good living and be happy in what they do. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll be growing our staff and um, in, in, <laughs> wow. in once. Wow. That's amazing. Well, uh, do you have time to grow flowers at your own garden at all, or do you just enjoy them at work? I do. I do some really large, um, large scale plantings. I have two 90 foot um, wide um, a double labyrinth um, that I've created and some just really big plantings with viburnum and dogwood. Mm, and mm. Um, my five years in the nursery meant there was a lot of stuff that... Um, you rescued and brought home. I may have 200 peonies in my yard <laughs> that had died back to the pot and they were just going to discard. So I said, well, can I buy them for a dollar a piece? And that was fine. Um, wow. So I, I've spent the last five years um, filling up my property with some um, extravagant plantings, which I'll probably be very um, sorry for in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's inspiring. Wow, that's so great. Well, um, we'll share uh, some beautiful photos uh, in our show notes uh, at slowflowerspodcast.com that Aaron has um, sent to me, but also links to how you can, you know, be on the mailing list or if you're in the Providence area, how you can um, attend events and get on the, you know, just find out more and even make a donation. So um, what's the call to action? What would you love the Slow Flowers community to do to support you, Erin? I would love to talk to people who have in um, knowledge about those aspects that we're trying to grow. I'd like to talk to people about their composting. How are they addressing commercial STEM recycling, mm-hmm. um, how, how could you see um, our property integrating into the industry? What can we do to be really good partners with the floral industry, with the farming industry, um, partnerships and organizations that we can serve? Uh, I am um, open to all of it. I am here to facilitate as much as possible with this property and the opportunity I've been given. Wow. That's great. What a blessing. Thank you, Aaron, so much. Uh, it was so wonderful to finally get this recorded and to get it out into the world kind of now at the beginning of the farming season, because I know you're going to get incredibly busy. Uh, but I I just think this is just, just a great model that might inspire other people to consider if they are affiliated with a nonprofit and they have access to land, because I think that's really um, a lot of 
farmers challenge is to get access to land. So it may mean partnering with a nonprofit. So this is this has been a great story. I really appreciate you joining us and sharing it and um, happy 2023 growing season. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm inspired and encouraged to learn the many creative ways our Slow Flowers members cause ripples of goodness and make meaningful floral connections through their own communities. Thanks so much to Johnny Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnyseeds.com. And thank you to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, and I value our loyal members and supporters. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Show and the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.